Well, we're glad to have another fascinating guest uh, on our program as per usual. Uh, Terry Lantrup is here with us. I started meeting Terry, um, we've been running uh, small developer and incremental developer happy hours in Dallas for several years. Uh, and Terry, I think, has been going since the very beginning. So I met Terry at, at one of those. Terry has been a developer who's done some projects very much within um, our the type of ethos that we advocate in this community, Lake Dallas, um, which is kind of a, we might call it a, a rural um, exurban community um, northwest of Dallas. Uh, that he's done several developments over the years. He's a third-generation developer, a former uh, newspaper man, uh, and he has also started the Lake Dallas Tiny Home Village, which may be uh, the first tiny home village of its kind in, in the country, and he also does a consulting service to uh, called Villavation that he'll tell us more about uh, to help people do some of these incremental projects that, that kind of serve a wider variety of uh, potential people and do it right. So with that introduction, Terry, uh, it's good to finally have you on the, the podcast, and we thank you for being virtually present with us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. I've enjoyed uh, listening to your podcast so far. So uh, I hope that people can learn from this one too. I think they'll be able to. I think they'll be able to. And you know, we've we've talked a lot um, over the years, uh, and you've told us about the stuff that you've done with in in Lake Dallas. Um, but unfortunately, it took me a while to get the the tour from you. Um, and I was very interested in it because you've really taken an approach that. Um, that has worked building by building um, over a long time. And I would, I would describe it as having kind of created something like a downtown uh, where there really probably wasn't one before you came in. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Lake Dallas, about that, that community there, and how you got started on doing developments there and, and kind of um, where you are there in kind of the core of town before we talk a little bit about the, the tiny home village that, that you've created and so forth. Sure. I came here uh, when I was 23. I bought the local newspaper, and I realized that the downtown area had a lot of potential, but there just wasn't very much here. When I first came, the grocery store was here, and there were uh, businesses here, and then everything moved out to the highway. So I ended up starting to buy property a bit at a time, um, and I needed a place to put the newspaper and a place to live, so I ended up buying a 1908 uh, old general store and completely renovated it, um, put the newspaper on the first floor, and then I had three apartments upstairs. And it just started from there, just picking up property here and there. Um, all in the downtown area, all within about a five-block area. So um, I had the opportunity to go to other places, but I'm a big believer in pick your farm and stick with your farm. Uh, so, and I think that, you know incremental development works best that way sometimes because you know your market and you know what's coming available and you know what's a, what you can do. Uh, so we did the, the Woodman building, uh, that was uh, the mixed use there, and then um, I renovated some houses in this area, and then I built um, 
a new mixed-use development uh, with um, four commercial spaces and three residential spaces above that. And then um, most recently, in 2019, I built some duplexes. We call them the Lake Dallas Bungalows. And those have been really popular. Um, I just opened my tax uh, appraisal, and um, everyone seems to be really happy about that, including, including the appraisal district. Um, whew, I, did not, I, I knew they would appraise high. I didn't realize they would appraise that high. Um, but those are really neat. Um, uh, one, a couple of one-bedroom units, a couple of two-bedroom units. Um, I try to do a little bit better than average, so they're they're pretty nice uh, spaces. And uh, then um, I went off and did the tiny Lake Dallas Tiny Home Village, with a lot of help from the tiny home community, and that's been really popular. Uh, it's got nationwide coverage, and really kind of put Lake Dallas on the map. Lake Dallas, you know, progress and prosperity passed Lake Dallas a long time ago. And um, everything around us is doing really well, but like downtown Lake Dallas hasn't done nearly as well as other places. So it was an easy way to get in because the property wasn't valued very high, and there was a lot of opportunity, a lot of empty land, a lot of, a lot of buildings that needed to be redone. Have you done this with kind of a vision in mind for the whole um, to begin with? Did you have a sense early on that you would be working on the scale of the whole downtown, or is this something that kind of came building to building for you? You know, I just saw a lot of potential, a lot of empty spaces, uh, a lot of uh, structures that needed to come down that just weren't weren't salvageable. Um, yeah, right from, uh, you know, when I first bought the first property, I knew that, that the best use for that property would be mixed use, even though mixed use wasn't even a term that I would even know. I just knew that uh, a really good uh, thing for the property would be something where there's businesses on the first floor and residential upstairs. Um, and, you know, all this incremental development that, that's the buzzword right now, it really wasn't the buzzword back then. Uh, you know, everybody's doing shopping centers and, and things like that, but um, I think the there's value in the small development. Uh, you know, we took each project one at a time, and, uh, you know, it takes a long time to get projects done, but, you know, we've been able to finish quite a few projects here. There's more potential, but, um, you know, I, I'm pretty much finished with, with what I'm going to be doing in Lake Dallas. Uh, I have more space for more bungalows, more, more of the duplexes, so I hope to get those done uh, probably within the next few years. Was there, before you started going to these incremental development meetups, did you feel like you were part of an ecosystem in any way or had any guidance of people who thought similarly, or um, did you just kind of figure all this stuff out for yourself? You know, I, I come from a, uh, I'm a third generation person that deals with real estate. So I kind of had a good idea. Uh, my grandparents had rental property. Uh, my parents had rental property. So I kind of knew the business from that end. And I also knew the community very well because I owned the newspaper. So I knew what was needed and um, was able to get the support from the city to do most of the projects that, that I've done. So... 
once you've once you've done a project like our first project was the Woodman building where we renovated an old structure that was built in 1908 once you've done that and 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 turned out a really good product people believe in you people uh give you a little more leeway to do projects so um that's kind of how it started and and yeah i i my plan was to do a lot more in the downtown area of Lake Dallas because I think there's a lot more potential here. Um, so there was a, a, a kind of a master plan of sorts. And so I've just about, once the bungalows are done, I'll have finished the, the projects that I have for my properties. Yeah, it, it felt like it, it came together in a very good way. I was, I was in, impressed by it and I think that for for reasons that I was able to kind of think through a little bit, I think even some elements that felt like it might have clashed in a different context felt like they were there pretty organically. So I was uh, I was impressed by by what I experienced there. Um, and then of course within a short walking distance of the the kind of the core of the downtown was was the tiny home village. Um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about that. I would also love to hear about the the 800-pound gorilla that that I think was was answered for me when I actually went there in person. Um, people think, okay, a tiny home village um, during a pandemic, it must be pretty rough to to be in a tiny home when you have to be home all the time. So, um, wonder wonder what your response is when people ask you that question because I know you've been asked it a lot. Sure. So the tiny home village came about because I had this acre of property. I had an old farmhouse on it that needed a lot of work and still needs a lot of work. Um, I wanted to do mixed use. That was my primary uh, objective, but there's just not enough demand for commercial space down here right now. So I went to Earth Day um, many years ago and I saw these cute little tiny homes and I thought, you know, there's a there's a place for that, and I'm not sure where it is, but um, let me think on it. So uh, I thought, well, I've got this acre of, of land, that would be a perfect place for it. And so um, I approached the city, uh, the city council members, and the mayor, and they were a little apprehensive, but they said, well, put together a a, a package, a, a presentation, and show it to us and let us think about it. We, we're not making any guarantees, but let's, let's, we're open to talking about it. And I think part of the, the thing behind that was they had already seen the projects that I had completed, and they knew that though it takes me a while to get projects done, they, th- they, they knew that it would be done very well. And uh, so they approved it, and while it took about three years to get it done, um, City Hall was not as easy to work with as the elected officials were, but we were able to, to pull it off, and we have 13, 13 uh, spaces. We have 12 tiny homes that are already on site. One is being built, and I'm expecting it pretty much any day. Um, so you were talking about the, the pandemic. Uh, that's been a question a lot of people ask me. In fact, uh, uh, Zara Perez with the Denton Record Chronicle uh, sent me an email last week and said, "Hey, how are they? Fa- how are your tiny home people faring?" And I had to tell them, and I, I tell everybody, they're doing fantastic. They're having a great time. Um, they have uh, 
although their homes are small, they, most of them have decks or outdoor seating. Um, there's a, a, a fire pit, and there are chairs around that. And I, I noticed that the chairs are all around there, but they're spaced out uh, nicely. Um, and I think they're faring very well. Um, and Zara, through her story, uh, pointed out that the tiny home people have, have uh, really gotten to know each other during this. Um, uh, it's easy for them to spend time outdoors because they're wanting to get outside. There's, there's plenty of places outside for them to be. And so I think they've done very well during this pandemic. And, you know, one of the things that, that struck me when I was visiting there is it's the importance of the concept of a tiny home village as opposed to just living in a tiny home somewhere. Um, because it, I, I was kind of thinking, you know, you, you get, you're compensated by having less space for having more outdoor amenities, which doesn't work for everybody, but I can see how... Um, it felt like a fair compensation for me when you're like, okay, we have a tiny home, but we have common space. We've got a fire pit. We have a place to do cooking. We have, um, you know, uh, community garden lots and things like that, that it seemed like some, uh, some fair compensation for, for that. Whereas just being in the middle of a tiny home out in a random lot somewhere wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't have as much as much to it. Um, so tell me how. So how does it work? So let's say someone says they they want to have a tiny home there. Um, there's a lot available. What would be how, what would the logistics be for them to uh, to get set up and to move there and to live there? Okay. So we only allow tiny homes on wheels, and they have to be uh, no wider than eight and a half feet wide, and they can be up to about 38 feet. Um, there are different kinds of tiny homes. Some are part models, which are a little wider, um, but we, we only accept the eight and a half feet wide per the city's requirements. And so they would get in touch with us, fill out an application, and uh, go over our rules. We have a, a pretty strict rule uh, rules that people have to follow. Um, and once they go over that, and we've really had very little uh, pushback on any of the rules, I think they really like the idea of having uh, a very structured rule system where they don't have to worry about their neighbors doing something or, or the, the, the tiny home village not being uh, as, as high quality as they would like it to be. So... Um, what, what are some of those rules like? Just giving some examples, because I... I just elaborate on the ways that it makes people feel more comfortable. Sure. Uh, all the homes have to be well kept. Um, all the yards have to be maintained. The, uh, we do mow and we do minor weed eating, but they do have to maintain their, their own yards. Um, all animals have to be on a leash or in, within inside their lot. They, they can't be running uh, around. Um, we do require everyone to recycle. That's just part of what we, we I think that's a really important part of, of who we are. Um, there's no smoking on the property. Um, you know, it's just things like that that make a, a community really nice. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things, you know, if you want to be there, you want to buy into those things, so... Right, and we've had some we've had some people that didn't 
that just wasn't going to be what they wanted. And so they learned early on that this is just not the place for them. And with only 13 lots, we didn't have any problem finding people that wanted to be here. Yeah, like uh, you'd mentioned, you know, how the, when you brought it to the city, um, how they were a little apprehensive at first. And um, I think whenever anything's new, it always takes, there's always going to be an early adapter, first adapter, those sorts of things. When did you realize that you were getting traction with what you were doing that, you know, because it's not like you build it and then, you know, the next day you're going to have 13 people at your door. So this took time. But at what point did you really realize from from seeing it and, and know, knowing you had the land and you had the ability to kind of create this this space? When when did you go, OK, yeah, I've definitely this is working people. This is this is this is a this is this is this is happening. This is working. People are liking this early on. Um I contacted the tiny home community in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and there's a, a large group of people involved in that, uh, both as people who are uh, helping other people build their, their homes or um, helping to try to, to get other cities to get involved. But w I knew early on that this was a really neat group of people that I'm dealing with. And they all rolled up their sleeves. They attended council meetings and public hearings and um, just really got involved to help get this project done. Uh, we had three work days, and we had plenty of people that showed up just to help us out. Um, so there was a, a large group of people that were behind uh, making this happen. And then the, the press coverage uh, really blew me away. Just the amount of people, uh, both in the tiny home communities and also just people that, that think they're just really neat. And there's a lot of people out there that think they might want to do tiny homes, uh, live in a tiny home, but they just think it's cute. So um, I think the, the, there was a, a need for it, and we were able to fill that need. And we still get about every day, every other day, we get another request for somebody wanting to know if we have any spaces available. From a human perspective, what do you think the biggest need that it's meeting is? You know, I think most of the tiny home people that are living here, um, they just don't want a big house. They don't want a big mortgage. They just want to focus on uh, living a good life right. and not having to deal with a huge yard. Their yards are, are, are pretty compact. Um, and just not having a lot of extra bills. We have, we have people whose electric bill is $25 a month. So you don't get that just anywhere. Right. So I think their, their mo main focus is enjoying a good life and uh, having time to relax and enjoy life. Yeah. It's like the Fight Club line, the things you own end up owning you, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, I enjoy now, I, I'm able to go over to the Tiny House Village at times and work, and no one's asking me any questions, um, no one's needing anything, and I'm just really able to, while I'm pulling weeds or, or planning, planning things, I'm really able to see how nice the community is and how neat it is for all the people uh, just to be hanging out. Uh, we have uh, quite a few children there, and they pretty much have the run of the place. Everybody knows all the kids. All the adults watch out for the kids. So it is definitely 
a village. It's not a place where just a bunch of people have parked their homes. Uh, there's a lot of interaction going on. Yeah, I've always said little little boys need at least like an acre to run around on uh, when they're when they're kids. So, is there like a specific ratio that you found? Because you you know you put 13. Uh, there's all there's obviously a tendency from certain people to cram as much in, and I, 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 you obviously haven't done that. Um, what's what's have you found like a, a happy ratio that that kind of people that balances out like the land area to the to the the space area for the homes uh, or for the number of people is there like a good density you know we have 13 on an acre we also have a house the the original farmhouse is still on the property and it's leased out to to a couple uh, we have a washeteria we have a community garden and we have the the backyard area that has the fire pit um, those are open areas the homes are pretty close together. This is a downtown area. We're, we're in a dense area. So, um, you know, some people want to have a lot more land to go with their tiny home. That's great. You have to go outside of the city quite a, quite a bit to get that. But the people that live here um, have traded off a little bit of that. Um, there's, a, there's a 25-foot wide courtyard that's about 150, 200 feet long in between uh, the, the homes themselves. They're lined up on both sides. And then uh, along with the, the, the other space, the backyard, there's plenty of space. So 13 on an acre leaves a lot of, uh, a lot of open space. It, it's interesting because one of the things I want to talk about is um, regulations because I think that there's a strong market for some of these tiny homes. Um, but our regulatory environment, to say the least, doesn't tend to to support them, um, which which is I think I think that it's a huge opportunity for for a lot of cities. Um, but it strikes me as as just a matter of of one size doesn't fit all, and and for some people, you know, having a big house and a big yard makes sense for them. But it seems like you're speaking to people every day who have a different idea of of what their pursuit of happiness might be at least at, at this point in, in their lives. Um, can you talk about, because I know you've, you've talked to a lot of cities, um, and even though you have a, a case study here that's successful, um, there tends to be some, a lot of reluctance to, uh, to have the flexibility in terms of the codes and things like that, because he's, you know, obviously under most contexts, having a tiny home village would be um, not legal according to local zoning rules. Can you talk about, or subdivision rules, et cetera. Can you talk about that and kind of maybe some of the conversations you've had with cities or would like to have with some cities about that? Sure. We got really lucky with Lake Dallas. Uh, they were open to the idea. They wanted to do something in their downtown area, and this seemed like a good beginning. Um, I'm hoping that the city leadership will uh, uh, kind of get on the bandwagon and, and do some things uh, in addition to this. You can't, this can't be the, the be-all, end-all. We're going to have to have some other things to help spur development in our downtown We've been talking to cities. Cities are still reluctant. Um, they're just worried that, that a, a tiny home village will become a, a trashy trailer park. Right. And because we have those regulations, all those rules, there's not much way of it at becoming that. Um, we have a, a situation where we can only allow 
a one-year lease on our, our, on our lots. And the council decided to do that because they said, well, if, if you've got someone that's not keeping up their home, then they have to go. Now, they do, at that time, they really didn't know the, the quality of the clientele that we have. And they didn't realize that these are really classy people that are going to keep their homes up. There, there's no, I have no doubt that we'll, we'll never have a problem with uh, a home not meeting uh, expectations. Um, but there's still that, that worry from cities that it's going to become a trashy trailer park. Once you, once you zone it, then they think that you can't control it, but you actually you actually can if you if you have all the the regulations in place and you work with reputable people. Um, so we're still working. Um, we've talked to quite a few cities. Uh, haven't gotten haven't gotten any of them to agree to do one just yet. But the thing is, I think once city leadership, whether it be city hall or elected officials. Once they come out, take a tour, maybe even get to meet some of the tiny home residents, and they get to see that this is actually an asset to their town. Um, as far as what we've done in Lake Dallas, we've gotten so much press coverage, it's crazy. I have more people that, that want to talk to me from the press than I really have time to, to, to deal with. Um, we're having stories uh, all over the place, and we're having them on an ongoing basis. So it brings notoriety to an area, uh, especially an area of town that may need something. Right. So in every city, just about I can think of, has an area that they need to, to concentrate on and try to, try to do some redevelopment. Something that's not going to be a huge impact, but it's going to be a quality impact. And so hopefully cities will see that this is, uh, this is actually an asset. It's a good thing to have. And uh, it brings a lot of notoriety to your city. Well, and a couple of things that, that strike me, you know, the first is I think that something like this in a downtown, um, you know, if you think of, of that many units an acre, um, that's an interesting way to enhance something that might be downtown adjacent properties and have that many units an acre and have that many people who might be, um, shopping downtown and supporting the downtown and you know supporting the city's tax base and things like that um, but putting it in a non-standardized matter I think could could make a lot of sense it also seems to me that these this could be um, integrated into larger developments where you have different types of housing and you could have a, a section um, that is tiny homes like that, but have, have more of a diversity because a lot of cities right now are looking at ways to support more af housing affordability, um, but they want to do it in a way that is um, organic because at some point it's impossible to write enough checks to make every, every housing unit affordable. You have to do something that's, that's a little bit more market-based. And, you know, I, I, it seems to me that being able to control the rules and being able to have, you know, the equivalent of a homeowners association that can enforce those rules or a developer that, that can enforce those rules or whatever. Um, it's all probably a matter of checks and balances, I think, to make sure that, that something like that will work. Right. My, my goal is to, to hopefully find some cities that want to do some things, whether they be 
bungalows, cottage courts, uh, tiny home villages. I mean, we can do all kinds of things that are a little bit outside of the box. And this may not be in the immediate downtown area, which would be nice, but it could also be on the fringes of their downtown area where we take, like this this lot, this way acre lot, I had no plans for because I couldn't, it was, it was zoned for office space, but that just wasn't going to, wasn't going to work. It just didn't, the numbers didn't work on it. So this was something that we could plug in. Uh, we plugged into that one acre and it's really, I think, uh, it's just brought us so much notoriety. And I think if it was done in a city, it's kind of a situation where it, it brings so much press coverage, so much notoriety that you can build a lot of things in a city on that notoriety. And, and it lets people know that this city wants to make things happen. And so this city's basically open for business. You know, if you can bring them a quality uh, development idea, they're open to it. What was the actual zoning that it was? It just a planned development, or was it? Did they did they create a zoning category for you? It is a planned development. It was uh, it was residential, um, then it became commercial, but that that just didn't fly, and so we did a planned development specifically for this. Okay, and then as far as like, do you have anybody that's like? Just so I understand. They're not leasing the home. They're leasing the land to put the home on it, correct? They own the home? Correct. They bring their own homes. Um, we have no spec uh, specified place they need to buy it. It just needs to, to be a quality home to meet the... Uh, uh, we have to meet the International Residential Code, and then there's something called Appendix Q, which is part of the International Residential Code. So they have to meet um, high standards, and that's one of the things the city was most concerned about. Um, so they meet the codes, the, the international residential codes. Have you gotten anyone, um, or have you, I don't know if there's a demand for it, if like, let's say, you know, it's over the summer and you have a family that can work, you know, maybe some, some of the family can work remotely, the kids aren't in school. Um, you know, my mom was a teacher, so she didn't have to work over the summer. Um, do you have any experience with someone saying, you know, we have a home, but we can we can actually lease our home out, our bigger home, and then maybe have a smaller home and travel or do whatever we want to do over the summer? Has has there been anyone who does like a like a shorter term kind of situation where they'll go out on the tiny home for maybe three months during the summer or certain seasons, or is that something that you've seen at all? No, we really haven't had anybody want to live here on a part-time basis. Um, with only 13 lots, we were spe specifically looking for people who were going to live here uh, permanently, uh, at least for a year. And most of our residents, uh, because we're required, the city requires us to um, tie down all the units, and that's an expense that uh, you know it, it. We really don't have a lot of in and out business. Everyone that's moved their home here, they're going to leave their home here until they actually move to someplace else. Uh, a lot of our residents have been putting on uh, decks, which are a really nice asset to their, their home. So they're not going anywhere. What about uh, internet speeds? Is internet good out there? Do they share internet? Like, does each person have to pay for internet? 
each person pays for their own internet, and I have, haven't had any complaints so far. It took about two or three months to get Spectrum to give us the time of day, but uh, once they got going on it, it's everyone seems to be happy. And we do have a lot of people that were working from home prior to the pandemic, and now a lot more are working from home. So there's been no complaints that I know of. What about, uh, you had mentioned like some of these different ideas. Um, has there been any talk of urban farming and incorporating these types of homes into an urban farming type environment? You know, I haven't talked to anybody about that. Uh, no one's brought that to me, but um, our, our residents, quite a few of our residents have a, uh, a, part, a piece of the garden and we uh, just uh, rebuilt the original outhouse that was with the property, property and it's now our garden shed. And then we have uh, a smoker, so we're going to be putting that in place. They've already started using it, um, so we'll have those amenities over in the garden area. So what does so what does um, what would the cost look like in, in a development such as yours? So, so if you think of because I know that obviously they're they're paying for rental of the land essentially. Um, there's going to be some other expenses, although it sounds like expenses are very low. And then there's going to be the the tiny homes themselves. Can you kind of walk us through what the expenses would look like to live in a tiny home village? Sure. So our lots right now run anywhere from 500 to 550, depending on the size of the lot. Uh, some of our larger lots will handle larger units. So we, we tried to make uh, uh, one of the the trends in the tiny home movement uh, is that the homes are bigger than what they were say even five years ago so where the average used to be maybe 20 to 24 feet now now it's probably add another five feet onto that i think our largest unit is 38 feet long um, and we didn't really plan for that so we had to redesign the community to be sure that we could fit the larger homes in. And I think they're gonna get probably a little bit longer than that, but we're, we're limiting it to what we have. Um, so for the 500 or 550, they get uh, water, sewer, um, they get um, trash service, recycling, and then uh, also uh, we do the mowing, we do minor weed eating, and then they also have access to the uh, washeteria. And those are not coin-operated. They just get to use uh, traditional home-style home washers and dryers. And then they have access to the, the community garden as well. Okay. So about 550 And then can you give us a sense of, and I've got a little bit of this, but not as much as you would, of what it might cost for someone to... Uh, to purchase a, a tiny home and then how much for how much square foot of living space and I know obviously as with anything else it varies but probably I think maybe some of the smaller units that we have are about 24 feet long I would imagine those would have would run anywhere minimum of 50,000 and then some of our larger units I'm just guessing I, I don't know for sure but I'm thinking probably closer to the 80 or 90 thousand dollar range and we still don't quite know what the resale value is, but because it's it's fairly new, it sounds like from 
Yeah, that's really hard to determine. Um, I think most of the people that are in the tiny homes aren't planning on going anywhere. So that's not been a, a really big problem. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. But right now, everyone's happy and their expenses are low. Like I said, um, electricity alone for these units, which is billed separately, is anywhere from 25 to $75 a month. So you can you can live for about under $600, roughly. Um, and then one of the questions, um, actually, uh, that we that we both had, tell us why tiny homes as opposed to trailers. Say, and I know that there's there's some similarities, but um, tell me why tiny homes. Well, Lake Dallas, Lake Dallas did already has mobile home parks, so they did not want another mobile home park, and also. Because of the size of the property, we probably couldn't have only fit maybe six six mobile homes on the property, maybe seven. And here we can do something unique, and we can fit 13 in. So mobile homes would have never, never fly, would have never fly. But also RVs, they did not want RVs as well. No RVs at all. They just wanted something very unique, something very different, something classy, and I, I think that's what we we produced. I have had a lot of conversations about kind of various ways to think about more flexible housing options, and it's certainly an advantage that you know when when you're going through a tiny home village, you know you're in a tiny home village, and you know some of the it's not that that you couldn't necessarily get beyond some of the stigmas that you might have with RVs and so forth. But when you look at a place like that, it definitely, it definitely would, would eliminate, I think, most of the preconceived notions that people might have and so forth if you had mobile homes or something like that. Absolutely. I had had that question, but I think it was kind of answered by the fact that it's a one-year lease. Um, my understanding, uh, most of it comes from watching a last week tonight episode where they talked about mobile homes and I think they try to keep people so they can't really leave um, and it ends up costing them more in the long run or, or whatever it's a just the whole the whole process of, of mobile homes is, is drastically different because uh, if you're having a one-year lease it, it's almost like it's it's right at you guys are right in between what what, what a mobile home and an RV would be where it's it's mo it's more mobile than we call them mobile homes but they're not they're not they don't seem to move ever and uh an rv which is meant to constantly move so it's meant to move be able to move if it needs to but not very often because it doesn't really need to move very often it's it's a it's a tiny home right right uh, our homes can be moved by a one-ton truck and uh, our first residents that moved in rented a truck and moved their own home I'm not sure they'll do that again. Uh, you really need to have someone that knows how to deal with moving those things. Yeah, my cousin, uh, my cousin-in-law had a little bit of an accident. There, uh, they were out living out in, uh, I guess, a tiny home situation in uh, Colorado, and uh, there's a. It's a little bit more complicated than driving driving your car to work. <laughs> I could see I could see that. Well, you know, it, it's almost when having the discussion about kind of these these types of housing, you know, it, it kind of makes me think about the way that we might think of, of buses, for example, because it's like 
you can the, the technology exists and it's been done in parts of the world um, to make a bus, you know, what they call bus rapid transit, where a bus basically functions almost like a train. Um, but you know, when you start talking about buses, people normally have a lot of stigmas that that you normally that you need to get through first. So. Um, you know, something like as things evolve and as different models are proven, um, it may be that that you know something like a tiny home is you know that that you might say, okay, we can do an RV park or we can do some type of manufactured housing and and make it relate to everything in a way that's very nice. Um, but for now, it might be important to get rid of the stigma and show that you know it's not the, the housing type, it's the way that you arrange it and the quality that you maintain and, and the rules that you have in place and so forth. Right. The difference between the construction of a mobile home and a construction of a tiny home, completely different. Um, tiny homes are built more like a conventional home, and the regulations with the International Residential Code require it to be more like a traditional stick-built home. So there's a lot of difference between mobile homes, RVs, and tiny homes. And tiny homes, they're going to last a long time because they are built like a regular home. And let's say the siding starts to, to, to age or the roof starts to age. Because they're built out of regular materials that are used in a regular home, it's not going to be hard to, to uh, switch out as things need to be replaced. Same thing on the interiors. They're, they're just built so much like a regular home with a higher quality product than, than a mobile home or an RV. What kind of insurance do they get? Is it just basic like homeowner's insurance? I believe so. I believe so. It's, it's not hard to get now. It, it was hard to get in the past, but because of the surge in interest in tiny homes, it's become a lot easier. So you um, you've done what is what is you know essentially maybe the first tiny home village of of its kind certainly in the United States. Um, if there was something that you could do again next time, what would it be? What's something that is a lesson that's been learned, or something that worked really well that you would replicate? Either one. Um, you know, I think we've learned so much over the three years of doing this. I'm hoping that the next project doesn't take very long. I would probably put a restroom in the, the washeteria just just because that's something that I think would have been nice to have added. I mean, it would have been nice to have a little more space on the lots, but I haven't had a complaint from any of the residents so far, uh, so that's not an issue. I think that once we do start on the next project, it will be even better than this, and the next one will be better than that one, and the next one will be better. Question going way back to uh, appraisal. So you said you started in a appraisal company, is, is that right? No, a consulting company. Consulting company. Yes, I, I got the appraisal on the bungalows and it kind of blew my socks off. Right, did they do an income capitalization approach, I'm, I'm assuming? Um, I'm not really sure where they got their number, so we're gonna have to sit down and talk about it. Okay, my guess would be, because with the bung are the bum bungalows movable? No, they're they're traditional duplexes only, a little higher end than than a traditional duplex. They're still small. They're tiny though, right? Or uh, no, the one bedrooms are seven fifty, and the two bedrooms are eleven hundred square feet. So no, they're not they're not small. Okay, as, as duplexes go. Now, as far as the appraisal on 
on the the property with the the houses that can move in and out, they wouldn't be appraising the the tiny home value. They would be appraising the value of the land itself. Correct. Correct. We're going to have to talk about that with the appraisal district when it's time for the uh, protest. You have a chat with them. Um, that does that does bring me to uh, the uh, the consulting business that you're doing. Um, can you uh, Villavation? Um, which uh, you've been talking about for a while, and, and I'm glad to see that it's launched. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, about that and who your kind of target market is and what you hope to accomplish through this? Sure. So over the last 20, 30 years when I, while I've been here, I've had people who wanted to do to replicate some of the things, some of the projects that I've done, and also they, people have been wanting to get involved with the projects that I've been doing. Um, I really never had the time to devote to helping people. Uh, I always had some project going on. And then I really didn't want to take on partners because all the properties I have are connected. So this was one little project I wanted to do on my own. Um, So I thought, well, I've got all these people wanting to do things, and I know how to do those. So that's kind of where the idea of helping other people, especially now that we've done a tiny home village, which is nobody had done before uh, to, this, to this extent. So I worked with uh, B.A. Norgard, who is like a guru in the tiny home uh, movement. And so she's working, uh, she and I are working together. And then we just brought on uh, Brandon Palanker, who has a lot of uh, background in doing development as well. So all three of us have uh, talents that we bring into the mix. And so our goal is to help um, cities uh, who need, who realize they need to do some, some development, especially with residential, residential that people can afford. Um, and then we also want to work with um, other developers who want to do projects and maybe need somebody else to help them. Uh, I'd really like to work with individuals who want to do a project but have never, maybe never done one. And they have the resources to do it. They just don't know how, they don't have the know-how to do it. Um, And then we just want to work with visionaries who want to do, you know, lead projects and we can help them to, to get those projects done. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that we can do. A lot of people that we can help. You know, primarily, we're looking for cities that would be open to doing a tiny home village, or be open to doing uh, bungalows, cottage courts, pocket neighborhoods. Um, there's right now, you have your subdivision homes, and then you have your apartments, and then you have a lot of subsidized apartments. So there's just not a lot of opportunity to do things differently. Um, not everybody wants a, a, a subdivision home. That may just not fit what they're wanting. And there's not a lot in the smaller size homes uh, that's out there. Uh, cities have regulated uh, out the concepts of uh, small apartments, small homes. And that's... Uh, that's that's tough on people who can't afford the 1,500, 2,000, 2,500 square foot homes. 
So hopefully we can come up with something and help people to, to develop, um, I'm not saying alternative living, but an option, different options for residential. You know, it, it's, it, makes me, it makes me think of, um, there's uh, this firm Opticos uh, that uh, coined this phrase, the missing middle. Um, and you know, which it sounds like you're you're familiar with. I think Dan's it's a few times recently. Uh, uh, Dan, uh, the founder, has been to this region. Um, but it, it's you know our system is really set up. It's either single family homes or it's you know maybe certain types of of apartments. And one of the things that strikes me is that we you know we tend to think of DFW as a very free market housing region. And I think that that might have been functionally accurate back when the demand was either for single family homes or you could kind of build an apartment complex. But we're growing really quickly and you know, the, the, a lot of, there's a lot of demand for different development types um, that is, the cities are cracking down more and more on. So I think that um, as that happens and as we try to grow, all of a sudden a lot of problems that we might think are affordability problems that are limited to California but we don't have here in Texas, um, we're already starting to see those raise their heads and I think that they might get ugly. So being able to come to cities and be able to say, we have a way to do this that's organically affordable. You're not going to be able to subsidize your way to affordability in, in total. Um, but we have some some ways that we can take steps towards affordability uh, that can meet the market. And then here is what we are doing that is going to be kind of the the feedback mechanism to make sure that some of the worst concerns that people have don't come to pass. Um, that this doesn't become trashed or anything like that, and that and that you have high quality. One of the things that strikes me is to the extent that sort of developers are able to come in and put in apartments or condos or whatever, a lot of times what they have to prove is, you know, don't worry, these will only be people who can afford to, to spend $1,600 a month on rent. Um, but, you know, if, if people want their children to stay and their grandchildren to stay, and if they want, you know, people ranging from teachers and police and fire to, you know, the people who are going to be flipping burgers and, and, you know, cleaning hotel rooms and things like that. Those people are all going to need affordability um, and, and hopefully they can live in a decent place that's pretty close to their place of work. So I think this is um, a partial solution uh, to a lot of very sticky problems that our region is, is probably going to face and is facing. Sure. We, we have a, a real problem because we don't have places that people can afford to live and I don't like to use affordable housing. I think it's more a missing middle. Uh, I really love that phrase because these are people uh, that work. They just don't need, a, a, like in Lake Dallas, I did these 750 square foot bungalows. That's the smallest the city would allow. I was appreciative, but their minimum size for an apartment is 900 square feet. Well, your person that works, your barista, at your coffee shop is not going to be able to afford a 900 square foot space. So why don't we provide a, a same high quality place that's like 400 square feet? Um, our tiny home people have families living in two and 300 square feet. So it works to live in a smaller unit. So um, 
I just think there's a, a huge need to provide housing that people can afford. And I think that city governments are, are more focused on how can we provide subsidized housing rather than letting the free market take care of the problem itself and have high-end, really nice quality units that people can afford. Well, Rick, that thing you like to say about asking people if they want to live in a 500-square-foot apartment and if they've ever had to live in a... Well, so there's there's a guy, um, uh, Joe Minicosi, um, uh, who Urban, Urban Three, who when he uh, I, I love it because when he goes into uh, public meetings, um, he'll ask people, "How many of you would want to live in a 500 square foot apartment?" And very few people raise their hand. Uh, and then he'll say, "He'll say, how many people at some point in your life have lived in a 500 square foot apartment or dorm?" And almost everybody raises their hand and when you make that impossible well all of a sudden it's like okay so someone who you know maybe maybe they're 19 years old right they want to they don't want to live in their parents uh basement like they want to have their own place they can't necessarily afford to have a big you know move from from their parents house to a big mansion right they need something they need to have more diversity and variety i think the other thing that's maybe equally important for this is is I think that there's something very much against what we what is most of our value system um, to basically say that if if somebody wants to live in a tiny home village um, and 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 to live in a small home and, and take advantage of other amenities where we kind of try to micromanage their pursuit of happiness where we kind of try to say no this is not an acceptable pursuit of happiness. You have to pursue your happiness by having this type of house and, and this type of yard. And I think that if we really had a national discussion where we thought about how much that's against everything that we're supposed to stand for, that we're supposed to be, where, where you're supposed to be able to decide your pursuit of happiness, that doesn't mean that we don't have zoning or regulations, um, but that does mean that that it's very much in line with our value system that if someone says, I want to live in a tiny home village and be able to to live this way in relationship to my neighbors, um, that it, I think it, it, we need to be able to have that option. I think that that we're we're doing something that that I think is hypocritical by by on a national scale saying that these types of things aren't allowed. Um, I do have one other one other question because I, normally this subject has come up more. We we brushed against it, but not very heavily. Um, do you see the the pandemic that we're facing right now and the aftermath that we're going to have in, in a lot of different ways from this? Do you think that there's a higher or different relevance or anything like that based on? Um, based on what we're facing right now towards these sort of tiny home villages and other ways that we might call missing middle ways of, of living? Absolutely. I, th- I think that we are, we're living beyond our means, typically. Uh, so we have a lot of people who work in, in industries where they're not working right now and they don't have any income, but yet they still have bills to pay. So if there were more affordable places to live um, 
whether they be uh, small apartments or tiny homes. Um, Co-living is another idea that I think is an incredible idea. Boarding houses, high-end boarding houses. The young people today, they are different than, than the old-timers. They don't mind the idea of living more communally, uh, living together, like the tiny home village. Um, they're probably in their late 20s, 30s. Um, they really like the idea of living in a, a, a communal-type situation. They each have their own homes, but yet they, they interact quite a bit. So I think that this pandemic has brought a for, to the forefront that we need to, to think about people and what they can afford to live, where they can afford to live and how they can afford to live. And we need to start coming up with ideas to provide that kind of housing. And it's not like we, we need to turn a whole section of the city into a tiny home village or a cottage court or bungalows. But let's take a lot here and a lot there and fit in some things that, in an organic matter, manner, provide the kind of housing that people actually need. Yeah, I think it's a great infill opportunity idea. Um, we are we're coming up. I had a I had a question. So you had mentioned like you have the resources and you want to get going. You want to help the people who are interested in this sort of thing. Um, what are those resources specifically? Obviously some cash. Um, and then what are also some of the skills, um, maybe some of them that they can just acquire just by getting more informed and reading up on it. But someone who's interested in getting in, into this and, and following your path and maybe hiring you as a consultant, what are some of the resources they need to accumulate first? Um, maybe, you know, uh, maybe they don't have any land yet. Uh, so what do they, do they, what do they need to do uh, first, and uh, what what should they look into, and what skills do they need to to work on? Well, you know, I think there are a lot. Of, there's a lot of uh, resources out there. Um, the podcast, your podcast. Um, there are so many podcasts out there that are a good way to learn a lot of things about a lot of different different projects. Um, you know, I listen to Tiny House, Tiny House Lifestyle podcast with Ethan uh, Wallman. I learned a lot just by listening to that because I didn't know a lot about uh, tiny homes, but I learned a lot through that, and I'm still listening to to his podcast. Um, so there, are, uh, Strong Towns has a good podcast uh, group, and then there's others. So that's a good way to learn, and I'm still listening to podcasts. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to, to get as much uh, knowledge and information that I can get. Um, the um, Incremental Developer, Developer Alliance, uh, that's a good resource. Um, they do the, the training, the one-day and two-day trainings. I highly recommend doing that. Um, so there's, there's plenty of things out there. Uh, Jane Jacobs' book uh, is a good uh Thing to to utilize. Uh, Ross Chapin does one on uh, pocket neighborhoods. Um, so there's plenty of resources out there for someone who's just starting out and uh, needs to know. Uh, needs to have a starting point. Um, the the 
monthly meetings that we have, um, small developer meetings. I think that's a good way to, to network with other people and see what other people are doing. Uh, the bungalows that I built, I was really kind of hoping to do mixed use on that property, but the numbers just didn't work out. The city w was not helpful. And uh, so I actually got the idea for the bungalows from someone who wanted to do something similar. And I thought, it's not right for my property, but I think it's a good idea. And then when the mixed use idea went out the window, I was like, wait a minute. I remember Emily was talking about doing some kind of cottage court or bungalows. And voila, we have it here. It's, it's done. So it's a good way to learn uh, what other people are wanting to do. Maybe that's something that you can uh, learn from them. I think more broadly and what you kind of, you know, allude to is, you know, when we were talking in person, um, I guess it was a, a week and a half ago or something like that, um, you were talking about 2009. And one of the things that strikes me about the crisis that we had in 2009 is that there wasn't really a movement that people could turn to that could show them an alternative way to build before or to do things before. So for that reason, we kind of had a pause, and then when the pause ended, we tried to go back to a status quo that was, that was unsustainable in so many different ways. And what we have now, and one of the reasons why we, we do these podcast interviews and talk with people like you, is because we feel that in many different ways, in terms of development, in terms of planning, in terms of economic development, there's a better model out there that has emerged over the last several years that has proven itself in, on a small scale. And I think that the cities that at least take steps towards embracing that model, people are going to notice in six months and in a year that, that they're doing that, that they're taking that approach. Um, and if you go back to, you know, we're going to try to bring in the big developers, we're going to do the developments we did before, we're still going to do plans that can't be implemented, we're going to, you know, smokestack chase instead of helping to support local businesses and entrepreneurs, all of that stuff. Um, I think that, that the average person on the street is going to start to see how unsustainable those practices are when we have less resources to, to pursue them. Um, so, so it's my hope that, that there will be big opportunities for people like yourself and that we can all kind of be as connected as possible in a network. By the way, you should personally meet everybody who you haven't met that is, that's been interviewed on our podcast because I think that, that the, this is a whole, a whole connection of people. Um, so uh, I will, uh, before we end this off, I'll leave you with the final word either to talk about um, uh, whatever you want to plug with your business or anything else that you'd like for our listeners to ponder uh, as a final thought. Sure. Well, I just, uh, I really want to help people at this point. Um, you know, I've done quite a few projects. Um, I'm working with a couple of great people with Villavation, uh, BA and Brandon, and we're really excited about getting together and making some projects happen. Um, you know, I want to help anywhere from the little guy to do a little project, or we can help, you know, bigger guys. We're not, we're not going to do the huge projects. There are other people, there are plenty of people that want to do those. It's the smaller projects that can make a huge impact in a city, taking a, a property that maybe is not utilized to the extent that it should be, 
or an empty lot that's just sitting there. Cities, I don't think, realize that lot is costing them money when there's nothing on that. There's not, there's not enough revenue coming off that to pay for the fire department, the water department, the police department. Um, so we're hoping to find uh, our niche, finding the people, bringing them together, and seeing what we can do to, to make some projects. And, you know, we can bring them out here to Lake Dallas, and I can show whether it be a renovation of an old building and reutilizing something that's falling in uh, or be, being super underutilized. We can do show them the mixed-use, uh, small-scale mixed-use. Uh, we can show them the bungalows, which is cottage courts, pocket, pocket neighborhoods. And then we can also show them uh, Tiny Home Village. So we have everything here that's a good place to start. So um, we're just hoping to bring people together and make some projects happen. Make some projects happen and, and help cities to make sure that they have revenue coming in, as, as you kind of point out, through what's, what's likely to be, unfortunately, a difficult time for a while. So um, awesome. Terry, uh, thank you for, um, for taking the time to, to talk with us. And sure, um, we look me. forward to, to seeing your progress in this region and, and maybe in other regions in the near future. Let's hope so. Okay. Take care, Terry. Thank you.